Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Welcome to Tales of Mythic Adventure. I'm Jeff Richard, and this is my co-host, I'm, Michael O'Brien. I'm Michael, hi, Mike. I'm Michael O'Brien, also known as Mob, and hi everyone. And we've also got in our studio our producer, Robert the Producer. Say hi, Robert. Hello, everybody. So, Jeff, we are we are doing an international podcast here, aren't we? We're on we're on all corners of the earth. Whereabouts are you? Well, I'm out here in Berlin, Germany, where it is uh, the end of winter on a a cold and blue sky day. Is there any snow out your window? No, there's no snow. The snow is all gone. Uh, it's been a a shockingly warm winter of around three to five degrees centigrade. Ooh, shockingly warm. Well, I'm in Melbourne, Australia, so uh, at the other end of the earth in the Antipodes, and here we're just coming to you know the summer is winding down, coming into uh, the what's the season that comes after summer in Glorantha? It's um. It's Earth season, isn't it? What do we call it in the real world? Autumn. Uh, That's right. Autumn. Autumn. <laughs> or as or you guys fruits. call it, the fall. The fall, isn't it? The fall season. Yes, the fall season. Fall yeah. or autumn. We don't really call it fall here because most of the trees in Australia don't lose their leaves. But uh, Hey, actually, I've got a question. Given yeah. that you guys are down under, is it true that the toilets go the wrong way? I'm going to hand that over to our producer. What do you say, Rob? <laughs> no, no, um, our toilets go the right way. It's your toilets that go the wrong way. <laughs> so so it, it's true. The water actually goes the opposite direction, south of the equator? Look, I, I know that... Or, or are we both... Are we all working off folklore from our respective uh, hemispheres? All I'll say, Jeff, is given the fact that I have a 14-year-old boy and an 11-year-old boy, I just prefer they flush the toilet. I really don't care which way it goes down. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is an example of the, the highly erudite discussions and conversations we're going to have here on Tales of Mythic Adventure. Uh, and I guess we, we, we might as well uh, say why we have any business at all having a podcast since we've already brought up toilets. Yeah, we better Mob, get ourselves out of the toilet, Jeff. I think that's a good idea. So, Mob, what RPG products have you been involved in putting together? Well, I've basically done a lot of work in the Glorantha field. Um a long time ago now, uh, I produced a book called Sun County, which a lot of people would know about, and I've been involved in things before and after that, but that's probably the the one that most people will remember. And the, the, the one-line pitch for that would be Spartans in the Wild West. Spartans in the Wild West. Well, and you've also are the developer of the... Uh... MGF system, are you not? The Maximum Game Fund rules, yes. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. We've even got a quiz at the very end that harkens back to, to good old MGF. That was a rule system that was invented one day when we really didn't have time to get into uh, complicated gaming. And we were drinking beer at the time. So it started off with, to randomise what was going to happen, you could use a beer uh, a beer cap, a bottle cap. And then we introduced increasing complexity into the game as the game went on and more beer was drunk and we had more bottle caps to uh, to toss. Did, were you playing that one, Jeff? Uh, I have played MGF games with you. I don't think I was at the game uh, where MGF was was invented. The game, I, where, I the one with the beer, the, the bottle caps, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I do remember playing an MGF uh, game at your place in Melbourne many, many, many years ago. Oh, that's going back time. Jeff has been here in Australia uh, a couple of times. 90, was it 98? 98, I think, is the last time I've been in Australia. Was that the time that you were called upon to murder a kangaroo or not? I can't remember. 
That was the time that I was asked to put a wounded kangaroo out of its misery after you and I had spent the entire afternoon uh, drinking beer in a little pub in a two-street town in Nowheresville, uh, Victoria... uh, In the Yarra Valley it was, yeah. Yeah, is it Victoria Province or Victoria State? The state of Victoria it was. I'm, 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 I'm just sorry, Jeff, but Nowheresville, Victoria... Doesn't really narrow it down enough. <laughs> well, this was this was definitely Nowheresville, uh, Victoria. It had two dusty streets, a pub with a television, and uh, Mob and I were waiting for some friends to show up. And uh, I was uh, drinking beer and trying to make sense of the game of cricket, which I am convinced after a- after that trip is simply a gigantic, overly complicated, and extraordinarily long drinking game. I'm not going to disagree with you. Are you going to disagree, Producer Rob? <laughs> um, no, but it, 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 it's a bit like baseball in that regard. Um, country cricketers um, have, a, have, a, have, a, have a country rule where there's a penalty of um, six runs if the batsman knocks over the, um, the fielder's stubby of beer with the ball. This was very much that sort of game, as far as I could tell. And uh, if if I recall, you know, after I'd had more beers than I ought to, we headed over to the friends where I was staying, and they they waved us down. And uh, um, I think the owner of the place asked me, Jeff. You're an American. You can shoot a gun. You know, she, I, she she actually said this was the mother of one of our friends. And uh, she said, oh, I hear you're an American. You know all about guns then, don't you? And something like that. <laughs> and Something like that. Uh, I was a little confused, but I said, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had learned how to shoot a gun when I was in the, the Boy Scouts, learned to shoot a rifle. And... Um, uh, then I was asked to take the what was his title? The colonel, the captain, whatever the the, the absentee husband who was away from the place at the time, who normally uh, has the duty of putting injured kangaroos out of their misery. This was a kangaroo uh, that had been uh, obviously hit by a car at some car. point during the day. It was a big uh, and the animal. It was a big kangaroo. Big the eastern was, grey. Yeah. It had been hit by a car, and it was going to die. The question was, is, is uh, you know, it would be more merciful to, to put it out of its misery. And uh, so they naturally asked the American who had been drinking beer, trying to make sense of cricket, to do this. And uh, fortunately, the kangaroo put itself out of its misery before I had a chance to, because that just would have been an entirely too strange of a day for me. Yes. yes, that's my... Because I think at that point, Jeff, story. you'd been in Australia for less than 24 hours as yes, well. Yes, and people were already telling me to shoot kangaroos. So, yes, that's that's my impression of, of Australia. You wander around places, you drink beer trying to make sense of your sports, and then people give you guns. Then you hand it a, a weapon, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, that's my impression of your country, gentlemen. Uh, but that... That, that, that that's a, doesn't necessarily explain why we're qualified to give podcasts, but it does give an idea of the random rambling anecdotes that we're capable of. Yes, uh, yes. To, to continue with that theme, but just before you let Nowheresville, Victoria goes, um, I once went into a pub in a small Victorian town, which I, I won't name, although I do remember it. And um, I asked um, behind the counter, I said, do you have any wine? And they said, yes, we've got red and white. That's You've class. got both kinds. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So, Excellent. Jeff, I've, I've, I said a little bit about, uh, about what I've been up to, and uh, we will talk a little bit more about MGF later, but what are you up to, Jeff? Where, where, where well, do you fit into all of this Glorantha stuff? Well, I'm the creative director for uh, Moon Design Publications, and we own uh, Glorantha, RuneQuest, HeroQuest, and, and a number of other lines. And so I am the uh, lead editor and writer for all things uh, Glorantha and tasked with um, uh, ensuring consistency and continuity across the lines. 
Uh, and I, let's see, the, the biggest work that I have done to date has, has been the Guide to Glorantha. Oh, Jeff, Jeff, sur- not just the biggest work. We have to also say the he- the heaviest work as well. Yeah, all 12 pounds of, of Encyclopedia Glorantica, uh, which we launched as a Kickstarter, what, I think we did a Kickstarter two years ago, and we fulfilled the Kickstarter last year. Uh, the The book is still for sale over a website, and uh, I think I've got another half dozen or so uh, Glorantha books under my belt, and uh, am the co-author of uh, HeroQuest Second Edition with Robin Laws, uh, the lead author of HeroQuest Glorantha. And um, was, had a minor bit part on uh, Robin Laws's drama system supplement, uh, Blood Over Snow. But that was a very bit part. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my Glorantha claim to fame. I don't know where to start there, Jeff. Um, all I'll say is I think my biggest claim to fame, other than Sun County, is the fact that uh, there was a magazine that came out. Uh, oh my a long gosh! Time are, ago. You talk- are you talking about the fabled Gorp? I actually wasn't talking about Gorp, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get there. I was talking about a magazine called Tales of the Reaching Moon, produced by uh, a man that we should all be very thankful for, David Hall, who more or David less David Hall, kept the light in the darkness, the light in the darkness, who who more or less kept uh, Gloranthan fandom going. Throughout the uh, throughout the 1990s, and I was an associate editor of that magazine, and my I think my proudest moment in that magazine was an article I wrote where I identified that um, Sandy Peterson had uh, been inspired by the 1960s splatter movies of Herschel Gordon Lewis when uh, coming up with some Gloranthan background. Oh, absolutely! Especially all the uh, the the blood sun, red sun stuff. The um, what is it? The uh, uh, yes, a thousand maniacs. The 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 ten thousand maniacs, which is of course a movie by Herschel Gordon Lewis, and he is he is he was literally a a Z grade uh, splatter movie director in the nineteen sixties, and the, I think that was my greatest claim to Gloranthan scholarship. <laughs> And, uh, well, and we'll have in a a, a later podcast we're we're going to have Sandy Peterson on the show, and I think we need to talk a little bit about Sandy's love of of Herschel Lewis and uh, Z grade horror movies in general. Sandy does at uh, uh, all the conventions that he goes to. He typically does a movie night with Sandy, where Sandy gets oh the, dear gets one or two of the most truly terrible films. We're talking stuff that Mystery Science Theater wouldn't have even put on. Uh, Truly, truly appallingly... We're not talking appallingly bad as in horrible or gross. We're talking appallingly bad as in uh, stuff that even Ed Wood would have sneered at in terms of quality. Oh, I see. See, because I know that... um... 2000 Maniacs by Herschel Gordon Lewis has often been referred to as the Gone with the Wind of Gore. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and, yes, Robert. And can I also say that, uh, again, with a bit of knowledge of that genre, there would not have been 10,000 Maniacs, there would not have been 2000 Maniacs, there probably would have been four Maniacs. <laughs> Yes, they probably probably said you four come in. The other one thousand nine hundred ninety six of you wait outside. Yes, yeah. The number, um, number of maniacs in the product may not match the number on the box. Probably, very probably. Well, we were for for storytelling purposes. We're sure. Just going to focus on four of the ten thousand. Yeah, yeah. But I assure you, there are nine thousand nine hundred ninety-six just waiting in the wings for some creative director producer to do as a sequel. Um, There was a sequel, actually. It was uh, remade in the two thousands, and it was called Two Thousand and One Maniacs. Obviously, the budget didn't extend much further. 
Well, yeah, but that still means that we have 7,999 to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we've got to talk about, talk about this with Sandy when we, uh, when we have him on the program. So that was my claim to fame to Gloranthan scholarship. Um, other than, other than that, the magazine, uh, Tales of the Reaching Moon was a, was a very important magazine. This was back in the days when, if you wanted to read about something, you actually had to use a dead tree version, because the internet uh, was just beginning with this sort of with this sort oh, of stuff. Oh, do you remember? Do you, do you remember the um, what was it? An AOL group uh, that was the RuneQuest discussion group for uh, AOL back in the early nineties. In the early nineties, I absolutely oh. do, and and that was. Uh, that was pretty amazing, really, wasn't it? That was uh, that was a very rich and active group, and uh, I think a lot of the people that uh, were engaged in that at the time, uh, a lot of them have ended up being published writers in the field as well, which is terrific. Oh, and, and if I recall, you can get some if if that has even been archived. I I hope it has somewhere. But I'm pretty sure there's uh, strange scenarios by uh, such writers as Ken Wolston and Sandy Peterson up there. Monster stats by by uh, various folk that were active in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, it was some awesome stuff. that I remember finding that in, in, um, on AOL and just being amazed how big... Of a community of people, yeah, and and that actually even predated the World Wide Web, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. That's... AOL was kind of like a private dial-up, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So it was either AOL or a CompuServe or something. It was one of these ones that um, was a pre-World Wide Web uh, uh, platform that seems so amazing back then, and now just looks so ridiculous. I, I just remember that the idea that you could type at people in real time um, was, was just a revelation to me, and I think, I think I was doing that at 300 boards, so you know your maximum was 50 or 60 words per minute. Well, it certainly changed the way we put uh, Tales of the Reaching Moon together, because we could email each other. Before that, uh, Tales actually started in 1989, and I remember being involved in putting together some of those early issues. And what we'd actually have to do, and it's 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 ridiculously quaint these days, is we'd actually write each other letters <laughs> and put them in envelopes and put stamps on them. And, and David was in England and I was in Australia, so it took a while to, to do all of that. And, of course, now... Um, I'm hoping that when this uh, when this podcast comes out at the moment, it really does sound je- like Jeff that you are literally just uh, you know in the next room. Well, I'm virtually in the next room, <laughs> and and literally, Rob, it sounds like you are literally round the corner, and and metaphorically, almost you are because <laughs> producer Rob, whereabouts are you? Yeah, uh, yes, uh, I'm in Blackburn South, Michael. So yes, uh, compared to Jeff, I am literally around the corner because I'm uh, about twenty kilometres away from you, whereas Jeff's about ten thousand. Yes, yeah, but so, it does all sound like we're, uh, we're 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 communing around this this table. It's yes. it's a wonderful thing compared to back in 1989 when I actually think I even hand wrote letters in those days because I um did I have a computer then? Oh, that's going back too far, isn't it? So Jeff, I put together Sun County, if you if you remember, in and that was published in nineteen ninety two. Right. And I remember putting that together on my Mac. And, Plus. and was that when is is that back when uh, Ken Rolston was your editor, wasn't he? Uh before Ken there was another editor and uh, he had produced such appalling drack, I'm afraid, if you remember some of those things that came out uh before what we call the the RuneQuest Renaissance, that um, I had actually written a letter to the Avalon Hill Game Company. Again, I, I think I had to print it out and put it in a letter with a stamp, uh, suggesting to them ways that they could improve their product line, which we ended up publishing in Tales of the Reaching Moon. I remember that one. And they ended up hiring Ken Rolston and, uh, well... 
I think that was a wonderful thing because we ended up having at least four or five, I think, really strong products that uh, came out after that. And I'm, I'm rather proud to say I was involved in, in most of them. Yeah, Sun County, River of Cradles, uh, Strangers in Cracks, Shadows on the Borderlands, uh, Duraster, and Lords of Terror, I think, were the... Uh, was the line from that period that was the that's what we call the uh that was known as the RuneQuest renaissance yes but we're now in a new renaissance aren't we jeff we have a metaphor to describe how all that works and what is that metaphor well we were we <laughs> i'm gonna hand that over to you actually jeff <laughs> No, no no you're the one who says we have a metaphor well i like to me. think that i like to think that uh that was kind of like a, a Merovingian type Renaissance, wasn't oh, it? Oh yes, short-lived. it was. The... And now, yes. Jeff, now Jeff, you are the Iron <laughs> Chancellor of Glorantha. You're the Bismarck. That's a, that's a new sort of uh, of of way forward. <laughs> I, I I like to think I, I I like to think not quite so grandiose that that the RuneQuest Renaissance was the Carolingian uh, Renaissance of. Uh, you know, when uh, Charles the Great ended up, uh, or, or Charlemagne ended up uh, uh, sponsoring uh, a resurgence in the use of Latin by, by monks and scribes, and that's actually where we get uh, a lot of the modern scripts and so forth. But it wasn't very long-lived. The Carolingian uh, Renaissance didn't last a lot longer than, than Charles the Great. Just like the the mighty uh, RuneQuest Renaissance, I don't think really outlasted uh, Ken Ralston's tenure. Who was yes, he was the Charles the Great. Then yes, I, I like that. That's a good metaphor to use. Then yes, and and when we have Ken on the program, we'll just have to tell him that he's Charles the Great. Yes. So the, yeah, I, I'm. But but then again, Jeff, I am saying that you are now the Bismarck. Of, uh... Oh yes. <laughs> oh, I, I like to think that this is the Medici period. You oh know, okay. The, I was going to we say have... Bismarck because you're in Berlin, you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then you know, but then I have to conquer France, and that's that's not necessarily since given that the the French are one of the great um, uh, supporters and hubs and and areas of of Glorantin activity. I think it would be, I I I would hardly want to do anything against France. There, that's that's one of the great hubs of of. Non-English uh, Glorantha-dom. and so, so I like I prefer the Medici's because I can't really think of anybody that the Medici's did anything bad against except themselves. Uh, also, Michael, the Medici's are in fact Renaissance figures, whereas Bismarck is not. Well, there is that. Very true. Yeah. And but but I, I'd also like to say that coming up with uh, with Gloranthan background and mythology and material is a really exciting thing. But just like Bismarck's epigram about uh, laws and sausages. One must not watch them in the making. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the the creative process. Uh, and and for those in our audience who uh, are un- unaware of it, but Mob and I do write a lot of material together and bounce around a lot of ideas. And I would say of every every great, wonderful Glorantin myth idea or concept that you see in print in something like the guide or in that in the hero quest glorantha or make it into 13th age uh glorantha or whatnot uh for every one wonderful great idea there's been five discarded <laughs> terrible ideas yeah or or, or 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 ideas that have been thrown back into the mix and had extra spice added to them I'm yes. using the sausage yes. metaphor again. Um, or, perhaps, or perhaps glitter? No, or no, glitter. no, no, Rob. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to polish turds here or, or, or coat them in glitter. Absolutely not. No. No, I mean, that's one of the wonderful things. That is one of the wonderful things about writing uh, Gloranthan material is at its core, you have this this exploration of fantasy that really isn't for a role-playing game or a board game or anything it's it's an exploration of just of fantasy and the 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 basic ideas the basic themes the basic concepts are so solid 
there is just a huge amount you can do with it. So, you know, rather than trying to polish up a, uh, a turd, to use the Australian... Uh, <laughs> or roll uh, it in glitter. Vernacular. <laughs> or rolling it in glitter. Uh, we can just discard it and um, go for the pure Glaranthan gold, the, the raw ore. Yes, and, and that has very much come out, I think, in recent years, Jeff, where, for example, when you are trying to write something around a set of rules that brings in certain constraints about yes. the way you think about things, but the Guide to Glorantha, for example, has not been written for any set of rules, has it? No, not at all. It's, it's, and it's not even really... Um, uh, a game book. Uh, the Guide to Glorantha is is a work of fiction, and that can be used for gaming, but also can just be used for uh, the the sheer joy of a gigantic world creation uh, or fictional mythology. It is. It's. It, it, it's. It's a it's a literary work, and I, I I mean that in not in the pretentious sense that this is going to be something that's on the would ever make it to a New York Times review of books sort of thing, but it's a literary. Oh, work I think you sell yourself sense. short there, Jeff. I really do. Well, I I, I think it's too heavy for them. Well, it <laughs> is. It, that that is very true. If it fell off my bookcase at the moment, it could fracture my toe. But but. What we've done with the uh, with the guide, and it's the same thing. We we um, uh, have the annotated uh, co- the annotated new version of King of Sartar coming out later this month, um, and we actually also have the um, uh, what's under the the working name of Harmas Saga should be coming out later this year, as well as the comic book. None of these things are game books. Mm-hmm. In the slightest. And uh, they, they can be a wonderful source of ideas for games, but they stand uh, on their own two feet. And I as, think it's, it's critical books. that they're written that way because I think if you try and write something with a set of rules in your head, you are almost writing with one hand tied behind your back. Or to use another metaphor, you're trying to write with a handful of, a handful full of dice. Or trying to type Absolutely. with a handful full of dice, and it just doesn't work, does it? No, not a, not at all. Uh, you you end up let it, having your story be constrained by what the first off how the um, uh, your your imagined rule system tends to model the, the the universe, and it also has your story fixate on the sort of things that that rule system. Um, is concerned about. Yes, I, I completely agree. And the the other great thing, of course, about Glorantha is the fact that it isn't just tied to one set of rules. There are in there are a number of rules systems that are currently being used to play in Glorantha. I'm sure there are people out there that use all sorts of other rules of their own of their own as well. But uh, the ones yeah, that right, are supported right. are HeroQuest, um, uh, HeroQuest Second Edition, and uh, uh, we're expecting about April uh, we should be releasing the new HeroQuest Glorantha rules, which is HeroQuest purely fo- uh, focused on uh, the Glorantha setting. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, we also later this year have Thirteenth Age in Glorantha coming out, which was kickstarted last year. Mm-hmm. And we should also be having uh, RuneQuest Six Adventures in Glorantha. Uh, so currently, the 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 HeroQuest rules are the only supported system, but uh, we will be having three game three role playing game systems uh, with Gloranthan product coming out in the next year or so. Uh, we also have there's uh, the White Bear Red Moon uh, Dragon Pass board game, which is out of print, but hopefully we'll see uh, print again, uh, as well as Nomad Gods, and that's a way of going through Glorantha through board gaming. And we will have this year Gods War, 
uh, which is a Glorantham board game developed by Sandy Peterson that lets you do the War of the Glorantham Gods uh, with awesome, huge, giant miniatures and just cool fun. Uh, that will be being kickstarted later this year. Oh, that and, and that's going to be awesome. That that is um, for people who are familiar. It's um, similar in some ways to uh, Cthulhu Wars, isn't it? That he's recently brought out. Yes, it's if if you played the rules are not identical, of course. But if you played Cthulhu Wars, you would get the basic style of play. Although I think um, uh, God's Wars has a lot more going on and also it's not you against everyone as much in God's Wars as it is in in Cthulhu Wars mm-hmm. and uh, I've I, I've been heavily involved in the design process of it so I've gotten to play it numerous times but I think you managed to play it at uh, Gen Con last I year. I played it at Gen Con last year it was awesomely good fun and uh, I'm so I've seen some of the figures that are going to be coming out with the game. The ones that came out for Cthulhu Wars were, of course, amazing, and uh, these Glorantham ones are going to be similarly amazing. Yes, they are. And oh, the other, one thing we, we forgot about altogether is the other way to explore Glorantha is through computer games. Oh, and is there a computer game? Um, yeah. If you haven't played this game, you should go out there and play it right now. It's called King of Dragon Pass. It actually by David Dunham. By David Dunham, uh, it actually came out uh, originally in like 1999, didn't it? Yeah, the original version was for the PC and the Mac way back in the late 90s. And this was a game way ahead of its time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's interesting the number of people that were involved in it. Um, you know, David Dunham was, it's David Dunham's game, but uh, Robin Laws, who uh, wrote the Hero Wars and Hero Quest rule system. And Ro- and, yeah, and Rob Heinzu. Right, who uh, did 4th uh, edition D&D and uh, 13th Age, and is working on 13th Age in Glorantha. Uh, you know, it was it was quite the, the game designer team there. I think... Uh, uh, pretty much well, everybody in Seattle, uh, or at least in the Ballard area, had at least some peripheral involve, uh, mm-hmm. involvement in it. Uh, at the very least, I think everybody crashed their parties. And you know what? It was a game just built to run on a, uh iPad or a tablet, which didn't really exist in those days. So uh, about, what, two years ago now, I suppose, David... Uh redid the game for uh for tablets and for Android and so on and boy it's a it's a fantastic game and it can really uh it's really engaging and it's a great game if you know nothing about Glorantha to, to learn about because you just learn it by osmosis. And uh it's it's got amazing reviews too, hasn't it? If you look up there on oh, oh, um, the iTunes and so on. Yeah, uh, that, that that is one we definitely have to mention. Now, at the opposite end of the spectrum, the other rule system you did mention, Jeff, was the MGF rules, which... Oh, yes, MGF. Well, but that's because you have to get it up on the uh, uh, out in the publication again, Mob. Oh, I do. I absolutely do, because we've got some great scenarios there, all with, uh, all with bad puns in the titles, like... Uh, Rune Metal Jacket. Rune Metal Jacket. Currently working on one called The Diet of Worms. Oh, awesome. Is that going to take place in the uh, EWF, or is that going to take place in the modern era? Uh, I think that's going to take place in the modern era. Um, uh, It'll probably take place in Sun County, where um, certain things happen uh, that change, change the whole paradigm. The title's a bit of a clue. The MGF rules, the, the coolest part of that was the character generation, I think, because you, you make up a character as you start playing the game, and you, you get asked several questions, don't you? Yes, you do. And, and Jeff, people... I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask you some questions now. We, 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 we're gonna have a number of guests on our, uh, podcast, and, we're going to finish off by asking them some questions from the MGF rules. 
Now, we're not quite finished with our podcast today, but we, I think we should ask everybody uh, sitting around our virtual table today. So I'm going to start with you, Jeff. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. So uh, in the MGF rules, you have to, you have to write things that you, you get told you're an archetype of some type. So let's say you're going to be a, uh, a lunar soldier. So everyone has an idea vaguely what a lunar soldier is. You could say it's a bit like a Roman legionary. You get to write down three things you're better than than the average soldier. You could say, I'm really good at throwing my, uh, my uh, javelin. You could say, I'm very good at marching. Three things you're worse than than the average soldier. You could say it's you know staying awake on guard duty, whatever. Three things that everyone knows about you. Three things that no one knows about you. Um, so we're going to do something like this for for all of the guests that we have on our on our podcast. So Jeff, I'm going to relate this back to being a gamer. So Jeff, what's one thing that you are better than than the average? gamer uh working a social group so in a game i'm better than the average gamer in jumping up and taking a social front position i don't mind doing that Uh uh-huh person who's being the person who's responsible for getting the party to work together on a plan Oh, well, that's good because uh, you need somebody like that because otherwise uh, it'll just end up in, in, in chaos and confusion. Exactly. So, exactly. so I'm going to flip now to the other question. Jeff, what are you worse than than the average gamer? Rules minimaxing. I suck at manipulating rule systems. <laughs> okay. So if you ever look at the rule systems that I develop, they're they're basically... Rules manipulation is not an important part of gameplay because I'm crap at it. So, um, does that mean you like to try and do it? It just doesn't work out. And often, what it means is that I cannot remember pers- if the rules involve a tremendous amount of crunch. I invariably forget some key component of that crunch. <laughs> Yeah, which could be quite deadly, I, I, I which, would imagine. If if anybody remembers RuneQuest 3 and the um, the, the wonderful book, uh, Strangers and Pracks, uh-huh. there was uh, a, a, an amazing adventure which had the one of the best narrative concepts in terms of, you know, what the premise is and the sort of stuff that goes on in it. And that was the... Um, uh, one that Mike Dawson did, uh, which had this uh, Rokari sorcerer come to Pavis, and your your players were to, to help him out. But because there was so much crunch in the RuneQuest three sorcery rules, I could not, as a GM for my life, competently run that character. Is no, that I, I you know what I I think. Um... Just to take a, a slight diversion from uh, our, our questions here, that scenario by Mike Dawson. Mike Dawson, I'm going to do a shout out here, and I'm going to say, I think he's he wrote one of the best uh, RuneQuest Gloranthan scenarios out there. Oh, and Galmata's it, Vision. Yeah, and and I was going to say it isn't the one you're talking about. It's Galmata's Vision. I think that's one of the best. It's it's so. I think it's one of the best. I think it's one of the best published scenarios I have ever run in my life. It's 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 so dark. It takes all of the uh, the the seedy undercurrent that's there in Sun County and just brings it to the fore. It's it's a wonderful piece. But I, it's also one that requires absolutely no rules mastery. You could you could hand wave your way through that entire scenario. Um, oh, you, you could play awesome it with the, you could play it with the MGF rules very successfully. Oh, in fact, it would play probably better with the MGF rules or with HeroQuest than with uh, RuneQuest Three. And so here's the interesting thing: I think that uh, Arlatan's Tower, or what was the one with the sorcerer in it? What's well, I can't even remember what, what think, it's called. Uh, Arlatan was the figure. I cannot remember the name of the adventure. Well, again, but Arlatan was the name of the Rokari sorcerer. What what I'll say is this is also by Mike Dawson and. I'd say that's one of my least favorite 
uh, Chloranthin scenario. So two ends of the spectrum there. Well, and, and purely because, not because of the, 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 the concept of the adventure, which I thought was awesome, it's that the uh, there was so much crunch uh, in order to play a, a RuneQuest 3 sorcerer, and that, that final Godzilla versus King Kong final battle that has you uh, as the GM trying to, to run Arlatan with all of the hideous complexity of, of RuneQuest 3 sorcery uh, against the Arcadi uh, troll sorceress. Yeah. Um, just was completely unworkable for me. I I, to- I, mean, I totally agree. And but I in no way would I say that that was actually a um, a failure on the part of the writer. It's just one of these bits where you suddenly see um, where a rule system falls apart as a rule system. Oh, and that, that's that's the point I'm actually making. And I think that. Uh... In that book, Strangers in Prax, which uh, I actually have something in there as well, I have the Lunar Coders. And I think the Lunar Coders are taken to the very limit of the, the RuneQuest 3 rules for uh, powerful characters. And even they're quite difficult to... to... They're very... That, that, where you run that fight with the Lunar Coders um, uh, against the players after they've managed to get uh, the Orlanthi Regalia... Yeah. And if you run that fight, if you as a GM, if that fight ends up getting staged in a manner where it turns into a a slug match, uh, you can expect several sessions of nothing but a a very complicated skirmish game. Yeah, and I think that I think that publication more or less took RQ three to its its limit, and I'd say with the Arlatan Sorcerer and beyond for high-level type characters, and that's where a game like HeroQuest yeah. uh, works far more successfully. Well, and that's actually, um, at, at the risk of, of, of derailing the questions for a moment, uh, that, that's why um, HeroQuest was created, mm-hmm. is that basically there was a realization, now Greg came to the, the realization way earlier than this. He came, I think... Um, uh, it was back in the mid-80s that Greg uh, had concluded that RuneQuest simply wouldn't work as a model for, um, as a rules engine for Glorantham Hero Questing. And he developed something called the Epic System, which had unbelievably cool concepts in it, but was absolutely unplayable. Because uh-huh. it was so ridiculously... It, it had myth crunch. Was that the one imagine... where basically uh, everybody's skills just got divided by ten percent? Was that no, was that no, basic? no, 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 no? That Greg had nothing to do with that one. Oh, okay. um, this was this was the one where you worked out the per, what percentage your soul was of what rune, um, and and what your percentage connection to various entities were, and you ended up with these unbelievably cool concepts, but the way that it was done in such a very crunchy manner just utterly didn't work. And then um, uh, Greg ended up hiring Robin Laws to write um, HeroQuest uh, because Greg realized that he could not, he could come up with all the concepts, but he couldn't um, make a rule system uh, work around it. Well, I'll forgive him because he came up with Pendragon, which I think is one of the most elegant sets of rules uh, out there. So, and and a lot of the the origin of Pendragon comes out of a a um, uh, never published um, uh, set of notes. It was going to be the book on the Glaranthan West called Arcane Lords, or it was given a variety of, of uh, one of those about. ones that was uh, obscurely. And tantalizingly mentioned in the back of, of various RuneQuest publications from about yes. 1978 onwards. So, anyways, Greg and San, uh, Charlie, Greg and Charlie worked on that, and uh, uh, in that, Greg gave me the, uh, all the draft files of that, which we looted for the Guide to Glorantha. Uh, but in that, what you could see is, and I think this was from like 1978, 1979, you could see the beginning of. What became Pendragon? If you took the, you know, it had mm-hmm. the personality traits, it had passions, 
if you just divided those um, 1 to 100 stats and made them 1 through 20, you know, voila, you've got they, the, uh, beginnings yeah. of, the beginnings of, of Pendergast. And you saw, do you remember that list of personality traits in uh, the old Griffin, Griffin Mountain scenario book? Remember they had a... Oh, yeah. A, a, oh, was that it? That wasn't it in a worm's footnotes? Yes. But they, they, they had played around with um, the personality traits from RuneQuest and ended up making its way into Pendragon, but not into RuneQuest 3. You know, Jeff, we have some really interesting topics that we can talk about with guests uh, going <laughs> forward. Because, you know, the history goes back a long way now to 1978. And in, in, in a later episode, I am going to tell you about my first ever experience with RuneQuest, which was... Um, we actually had a copy of Apple Lane. We didn't have a copy of the rules, and we tried to work out RuneQuest backwards from there. Um, and that was that was a long time ago now. But I need to finish the quiz with you, Jeff. Oh, that's right. We, that's we right. may run out of time for you to ask me. We might have to do that in a in another episode because we're getting awfully close to uh, to the hour. So, Jeff, tell me um, what's uh, one thing that everybody knows about you as a gamer? As in everybody who games with me knows or everybody within our broader gaming yeah, You can answer that question any way you like. Oh, okay. Um, probably that I really, really, really like... Um, the look and feel of the ancient world for Glaranthan fantasy far, far more than Vikings and medieval knights, which I just simply hate for uh, uh, Glaranthan fantasy. I think that I think that dislike is pretty much well well known. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's very clear, and uh, it's it's coming out more and more. The idea of Stuffing Glorantha isn't meant to be straight analogues of anything, is it? No, not at all. It should be its own thing. And we borrow, in order to understand it, you know, you look a lot to um, uh, real-world mythology for sources of inspiration, but in no way is anything in Glorantha supposed to be an analogy uh, to anything else. Mm. So, Jeff, the the final question then is... uh, Tell us one thing that nobody knows about you, or people don't know about you as a gamer. Uh, that I am a retired and recovered uh, U.S. constitutional lawyer, and that I have argued numerous times before the Supreme Court of the State of Washington, the Ninth Circuit, and even got to file a brief with the U.S. Supreme Court. Really? Yeah, but you, you didn't even know that. Oh, I didn't know that last one, no. And, yeah. uh, oh, what was the brief? Uh, that was on um, a aspect of prosecutorial immunity. It was whether a, uh, what are the limits by which a prosecutor uh, who, who screws up and files a case where it turns out there was no real basis for uh, the prosecution, uh, to what extent are they civilly liable? to the person who that they have damaged. And I uh, was uh, an attorney with the prosecuting attorney's office, and uh, we argued this one up to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court and lost. Um, it was one of the few uh, few cases that I was involved on at the appellate level that we did lose. And uh, I'm not entirely certain it was a bad thing that we lost. I hope it didn't dishearten you, and then you decided to give up your career in law and uh, no, move that was, into that role was one of the very first. That was actually one of the very first cases I worked. Oh on. well, <laughs> yeah. So that that was one of the neat things about being a uh, uh, a government lawyer was that, that that you know you end up doing right out of the box some really really cool cases and really really cool projects, um, and you. You know, because uh, resources are what they are, and you just get to do things that should be way outside of your paper. And, and it is a little so, bit like live-action role-playing, isn't it? 
It's a lot like last. In fact, I, I I would say that more that pretty much will all of my understanding about how um, NPCs should function in the political or strategic uh, theater is based on years of legal practice and working with elected officials and uh, senior bureaucrats. Well, you know, Jeff, I have just spent ten years living in a live action role playing game in... Absolutely and that's going to be that's got to come up in our next Yeah yeah uh, I think we're going to have to uh, save the questions together. for me for the next one but uh I'll be telling you about the uh the 10 year live action role playing game I've been I've been living in In Sun County in in a in real Sun world County. equivalent of Sun County yeah and then Rob, our producer Rob, you're not going to get away with this either. We're asking oh. you the questions too. Oh dear, I was very much hoping that uh, you were going to run out of time, but okay, I'll answer the question. But... We'll, we'll run out of time today, but believe me, Rob, you're going to get asked these questions. Don't worry, okay, okay. uh, As long as nobody asks me what my connection to Glorantha is, because uh, that would be somewhat embarrassing. Oh dear, we'll die. Well, then, I now we've got it. Now we've got it. You, you, you shouldn't have opened your mouth. <laughs> well, we'll tantalise our listeners for the future for that one. Well, guys, thank you all for listening in on our first episode of Tales of Mythic Adventure. Jeff, Jeff Richard. Jeff, what do we have coming up in episode two? Well, I believe that we have Rob Heinsu coming up in episode two. Uh, Rob is the uh, uh, writer of or, or... uh, creator of the fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons, then was the co-creator of Thirteenth Age, and he is now writing Thirteenth Age in Glorantha for us. That is He's up next. That is very exciting. We're going to look forward to that uh, that conversation. So we're going uh, to ask him those questions as well. We get. We are definitely going to ask him the questions. So, producer Rob, you might be able to escape yet another week without us <laughs> asking you. Uh, I, I, a one-week stay, uh, stay of execution. Okay. That's right. From, from a lawyer who's argued before the Supreme Court. Okay, fine, <laughs> fine. Okay, well, um, I, am, I am Michael O'Brien Mob, and I'm going to say tally-ho, everyone. Uh, this is Jeff Richards signing off. And Robert Love, the producer, goodbye. And that concludes our first tale of Mythic Adventure, coming to you via download at mythicadventure.com and on iTunes. This was a Rabbit Hat production in association with Moon Design Publications. No ducks were harmed in the production of this podcast. (laughs) 